Thank you very, very much, Artie Wayne, Star Lighters, Lake Tony Ivello and Company, and hello, dear. Happiness to you all. We told you yesterday that we were going to have a surprise for you today. And not only do we have a surprise for you, we have one for me. One of our most wonderful people in all of the writing realm, Adela Rogers St. John, has uh, offered to drop by and chat with us. And I don't know uh, what kind of uh, music we're going to get into, but I think that uh, happening, happening, I should say, to know that uh, she at one time studied piano. We may have a little Chopin. We'll find out what she likes in a minute. This is uh, Mr. Shearing's very delicious version of Chopin's Prelude, number 20. <laughs> on our microphone today by a most distinguished and wonderful person of the letters, I suppose we would say, Mrs. St. John's, wouldn't we? Oh, I don't know. That sounds awfully <laughs> elegant to me. I still think of myself as a newspaper woman. <laughs> anyway, we're talking to Adela Rogers St. John, who's got a wonderful new book out called Tell No Man, Double Day is put out. And, of course, it's uh, one of, uh, how many is it now? Would you like to recount? Books? Books. Well, you know, there's something very odd about that. This is only my second book uh -huh. that was written as a book. Just as a book, uh -huh. right. Because up till then, having uh -huh. a large family of children to raise uh -huh. and one thing and another, I never could stop and have time enough to write a book. 
Uh-huh. So you used to write it as a serial for magazines. You got right, paid every week. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> to write a book and wait for it to come back, I had to wait till all the kids were able to support themselves. I'm going to uh, get back to uh, what you just said about serialized magazines, but how did it all start for you in the newspaper business and the writing business? Did uh, Was this your ambition from the beginning? No, it was... <laughs> A strict matter of fact, you're now really uncovering my past. I wanted to be a musician. I didn't think there was any art except music. I, this mm-hmm. was the only art I really felt. Writing seemed to me just something anybody could do. Painting, I didn't understand at all. Uh-huh. But I did want to be a musician. And uh, this was in my family. So I went to Germany, went to Gewandhaus in Leipzig, and decided I would be a piano player. Mm-hmm. And I studied for two years, and then... <laughs> Thank goodness somebody was kind enough to look me firmly in the eye and say, you will never be a first-class pianist. So I came home and went to work on a newspaper uh-huh. and have been utterly happy ever since as far as my job was concerned. Where did you start newspaper-wise? In San Francisco. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Then came down to Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And uh, when we bought the, I went to work on the San Francisco Examiner. Examiner. And then when we bought the, when Mr. Hurst bought the Herald here, he turned it into an afternoon paper. Uh-huh. And he did what you now do with ball clubs, new ball clubs, you know, when you add Houston or something. Right. Mm-hmm. You pick up a staff from around mm-hmm. the league. So he picked up a staff from around his other papers. Mm-hmm. And because my father, who was a famous criminal lawyer. Right was in Los Angeles. He sent me down here because he thought I... You know, reporters sometimes are just as good as the people they know in the town. Uh-huh. And he thought I would know a lot of people down here, so I came down here <laughs> and went to work. You have other lawyers in the family now. Oh, yes. Yes, I have my son Dick is a, uh-huh. is a lawyer. He claims and often says, you know, Ma doesn't really think I'm a lawyer because I never go into court. Because you know this is true nowadays. Good lawyers try their very best never to get into courts. First of all, you can't get into court. It takes right. you two years mm-hmm. to find a court that's open. <laughs> and second, you're supposed to be able, and I think it's very good, to mm-hmm. sit down around a table mm-hmm. and adjust and make a peaceful deal, if possible. Save mm-hmm. everybody a lot of time, uh, money, true. and trouble. Uh-huh. And since my son is not a criminal lawyer, uh-huh. why, that's what he does. I think it's just great, but he makes fun. He says, Ma doesn't think I'm a lawyer because I don't get up in court. <laughs> 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 Which my father, of course, did. Good. Well, we both have lawyers in the family. Uh-huh. So, uh, that will, now, uh, which... Well, mine is just there, just arrived at the law situation. Oh, and, uh, in yeah. what way do you mean that? Well, I mean, he's uh, just finishing law school. Why, what fun! Mm, yeah. Where did he go? Loyola Law. Oh, that's uh-huh. a wonderful school. Mm, yeah. Well, it's a very fine school. So, uh, yeah, we don't know whether do. he's going into computers or what he's doing. <laughs> you know? Well, there's so many kind of lawyers nowadays <laughs> that you know it's like doctors. They're more mm-hmm. specialists in law. Tax mm-hmm. law, government law, every real estate law, all kinds How of How did you graduate? Because you did a lot of sports writing. I remember correctly. I did indeed. Didn't? Mm-hmm. I had more fun. Uh-huh. But I have really, when I come to think of it, I had my 73rd birthday here last couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. and I am sometimes overcome by how good God has been to me. I have had such a, a wonderful life. I've known people always. Yes, I adored sports writing, and mm-hmm. when I tell you that I worked with Runyon, mm-hmm. Gallico, mm-hmm. 
Ring Lardner, and, you know, all of the uh -huh. Granny Rice, uh -huh. all those people. It was an education in and of itself. Uh-huh. This was. Did you enjoy particularly reporting on sports and writing on it? Mm-hmm. Of course you have to. Yeah. In the first place, I enjoyed being lucky enough to sit in the press box while the World Series or the championship fight or the Kentucky Derby or whatever was going on out there, you can't do better than to sit in the press box. Uh -huh. And then it's a very picturesque thing to cover. And, of course, as you know, it's a picturesque language. Mm -hmm. I don't Certainly care where is. you go at what level of education or social life or even the so-called intellectual life. Mm -hmm. They still know what you mean when you say a guy's got two strikes on him. Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the common language <laughs> I have found. And you can always get your point over. They say communications, you know, can you... What is it they say now? Can you communicate? Right. Well, I have yet to find, I tell you something, I went out the other day, Saturday, and I watched my great-grandson mm -hmm. play Little League Baseball. Well, how did he do? He did very well. <laughs> he got a home run, and his only problem was that by the time, he's only six years old, by the time he got to third base, he was pretty well done. <laughs> he had trouble getting to home plate. He had to slide in the end. <laughs> Do you I enjoy your children? Oh, yes. And I've your got nine great grandchildren. Nine great grandchildren? Mm -hmm. I have 18 grandchildren and mm -hmm. nine great grandchildren. That is almost a tribe. Do you understand I that? I hope it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm not about to do anything else about it. It better be. It's not only a tribe, it's a very close tribe. We very much believe in the tribe, and mm -hmm. I dare say we believe in nepotism. We think we can do everything better than anybody else. We don't see why we should get anybody in from outside. It's a good way to start. I think it's great. Don't you? Yeah. We, the only thing that's ever buffaloed me really is plumbing. I want to tell you, I wish you hadn't said that, because I have to admit it. I haven't got one child, male, female, grand or not, who can put a hook on a screen door. Isn't that awful? The best I have, I have one granddaughter, mm -hmm. and she carries a card in the electrician's union mm -hmm. because she is a dramatic arts major in college. And has to do lighting. Has to do lighting. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the unions now give you a card mm -hmm. to permit you to do this. I see. So, we mm. have one electrician, at least <laughs> not a plumber, but we do have an electrician in the family. While we were chatting, uh, Mrs. St. John's mentioned that uh, she liked Mozart particularly, and we are going to interject a little Mozart, oh. uh, just uh, for kicks right about here.
Our special guest, Adela Rogers St. John, who has been, as you have gathered, uh, shall we say, a part of uh, Americana from the writing standpoint for a long time since she gave up the piano. <laughs> it uh, gave me up. <laughs> <laughs> Would you uh, like to comment on the mention that you made a little while ago about the serial writing of stories? What did it actually mean to somebody who was as well-known as you were in that particular field? With the demise of uh, magazines like Liberty, Collier's, things of this kind over the past years, was it, is it more difficult or was it more difficult during those years to place things anywhere? Well, it just happens that for me it wasn't because mm -hmm. uh, Good Housekeeping had always been, Housekeeping Magazine had right. always been one of my great markets. Mm -hmm. And I went on with my short story work a great mm -hmm. deal for Good Housekeeping Magazine. And I am enormously proud of the fact that I think I had more short stories in Good Housekeeping than any other single writer. Uh -huh. And I want to tell you one thing. I have found, I wrote one short story called, I think it was called Wedding Night. Mm -hmm. And, oh, this is eight, nine, ten years ago at least. Mm -hmm. Do you know that as I go around now lecturing in colleges, mm -hmm. I find this particular story and this particular copy of Good Housekeeping in all kinds of sorority houses, in dormitories, girls mm -hmm. who kept it. It was about the approach to marriage and, right. and about your approach to a mm -hmm. wedding night. And, you know, it makes you very happy to find that short stories, which have so short... Well, I guess I'm not trying to make a pun or anything, yeah. but they do have a short life. Right. You know, right. they mm -hmm. vanish, and you mm -hmm. work so hard on them, and then you think they've mm -hmm. just disappeared in one month. But I did have... Uh, I was very lucky. I had the Saturday Evening Post, and I had... Right. Good housekeeping mm -hmm. and McCall's. Right. And so I wasn't, uh, although I had worked on Liberty, I worked mm -hmm. on Liberty a long time because mm -hmm. Liberty was the first magazine that used stories about motion picture stars, mm -hmm. the first national magazine. Right. As a matter of fact, the first national article on a motion picture star was a, one that I did for mm -hmm. Liberty on Greta Garbo. <laughs> which was kind of a combination of firsts uh -huh. because you know how mysterious Miss yes. Garbo was. Uh -huh. And uh, I, I remember I wrote that in the hospital just after I had a baby. I wrote it on a thing, you know, a tray. <laughs> and we got it into Liberty. So uh -huh. I, most of the work I did for Liberty, I wrote a life story of Valentino and one of Dressler and Lon Chaney and a lot of the early picture stars uh -huh. for them. I missed them for that. Oh, for heaven's but sake. But otherwise, then I went on to uh, book writing, which mm -hmm. is much easier, mm -hmm. really, to have time to... <laughs> you spoke a while ago about when you make a mistake, how yeah. quick you hear about it, <laughs> and we all do. Uh -huh. But in a book, at least on the whole, you have time to go back and correct it. Uh -huh. Is it more difficult to write a short story because of... Uh, I think it's the, the most difficult thing work? in the world. It is. Yes, I mm -hmm. think so. Uh, you have got to... Every single word has to count or should count. Mm -hmm. You take J.D. Salinger, who I think is the great short mm -hmm. story writer of our modern age, mm -hmm. and you, you just, after you read one of the Salinger stories, like the perfect day for banana fish, mm -hmm. uh, you can't believe that he told you 
as much as you know about that girl and that man and the mother-in-law on the telephone uh -huh. and all these people in that space. Uh -huh. He must have used every word with great, oh, you know, just uh -huh. absolute perfection. Uh, you don't have time to stop and say, well, now, you don't believe that a girl would behave like that, but I will now take two chapters to explain to you that the reason she behaved like that was because she fell out of a tree when she was nine. You, know? <laughs> you just plain flat don't have time. You've got to make it stand up right then. Uh, so and all by itself. Yes, all uh -huh. by itself. So it seems to me that it's the... I loved it. I had great fun with it because uh -huh. what I did with short stories... I was always recreating the world as I saw it from a newspaper angle into the world the way I wanted it to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a very interesting comment. It's fun as, to do. As the approach, at least. You mentioned uh, that you had a chat with Irving Berlin once. Oh, what a great man. Uh-huh. This is not only... Do you feel that he is a very great musician? I mean, I think he wrote songs for the heart of this country. That's the only thing that bothers me about some of the newer ones. I, I like, mm -hmm. I'm like Ray Bolger. He mm -hmm. says there's no difference between the Watusi and the Quiver or whatever yes. they do now. <laughs> and the ones that we did, the Black Bottom and the Charleston, uh -huh. you know, they're all the same. Uh, and I think that so much of the beauty of ballads that I studied in Germany, the Schumann, the Schubert, mm -hmm. all right. that, even Chopin. Mm -hmm. I think Berlin has the same quality, and mm -hmm. I think we should be very proud of him as a great composer. Mm -hmm. But uh, the thing I loved, I went to interview him one time, and in those days we had more room in the papers than we have now. We didn't have as many wars, and we didn't have <laughs> as much trouble in Washington, uh -huh. and uh, we had more space. Uh -huh. And they said, go and interview Irving Berlin. So I did. Of course, he was just enchanting. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember. I think this must have been about 1930, mm -hmm. 31, something mm -hmm. like that. And I said, you know, Mr. Berlin, why don't we ever write a great peace song? It's so easy to write great war songs, mm -hmm. marches, right. and, you know, onward mm -hmm. Christian soldiers sure. and from there on. Uh -huh. and, uh, but nobody seems to write a great peace song. Well, he said, it's kind of hard to do. He said, you know, peace is not the easiest thing to get. You have to work for it. You uh -huh. have to fight to get peace. Uh -huh. And it's hard to get a, a peace song. And then I found this story the other day. It's how I happen to remember it. I was going through, finally, the morgues to get some old clips. Uh -huh. And uh, I found this story. And he called me and asked me to come in and hear God Bless America. Oh, he had written a peace song. <laughs> so I felt very happy about that because it is one of our great songs. It certainly is. Let's play it. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Right here.
George Shearing with some variations on the theme of Paganini. And this is the Bill Stewart Show, coming to you from the Hollywood studios of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. And, of course, our special guest, Adela Rogers St. John's. St. John's, uh, how did you finally get into the novel? I think your first novel was Final Verdict, wasn't it? That's not a novel. It's not a novel, no, really? Final Verdict uh, is the story of my father, oh, Earl uh, Rogers. Right. That's a, it's a biography. It's a biography, really. per right. se, right. Mm-hmm. Of, of, uh, I dare say there are moments uh, of invention your, in this book. Was that your first book? Yes, yes. That was my first book, book as a book. As a book, right. See, That's what I was I trying had promised. to Everybody, you know, was always saying to me, you ought to write a story about your father. And every time I went anywhere into the law in any way or in the newspaper business or anything, say, why don't you write a book about your father? So when I came to the place where I could write a book, Mm -hmm. I felt that I would like to start and try that. It wasn't altogether an easy book to write. He was a very great criminal lawyer. This is not the happiest kind of an experience. And yet, what I had the excitement with, your son will understand this, mm-hmm. uh, was the firsts that he did. I, I started out to make a list of the things he did first in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were very impressive. And my son, who was then at Stanford in law school, uh, was being taught law, especially cross-examination. Mm-hmm. from his grandfather ah. because Francis P. Wellman who wrote a book on cross-examination said Earl Rogers invented the art of cross-examination as we now know it mm-hmm. and I think he did as near as I could make out so I went back to get those firsts and to get the cross-examinations that mm-hmm. I thought would be very interesting and uh, of course there was a lot of heart in the book I was in my day what they call a sob sister and I'm very proud of it uh-huh. and because uh, I think heart is what we lack a good deal today and both our writing and a good many other places even our music I think uh-huh. we would stand a little more heart here and there and so I, that that was the way I got into that because I was really driven you ought to tell the story about your father and Clarence Darrow you ought to tell the story about the time your father defended so and so you know and everybody then, when I was a younger woman, was always telling me I should write a book about my father. So finally I did. And we had great success with it. Yes, I remember. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question uh, that, that may seem rather ridiculous uh, in context, and yet it really isn't. 
How do you, because this is, let's face it, writing is a, is a great art form, whether uh, you thought piano only was, <laughs> and music was the only art form, uh, how do you go about actually concocting a story, for instance, like Tell No Man? Well, I had Tell No Man in my mind for about four years. And it began, it, they build, they grow. You, you, I start with people. Mm -hmm. Some well, you have a particular faculty, that's which is right. a beautiful one for building characters that you can actually see when you finish reading. Well, that's the best, you know. that's the finest for me. You could mm -hmm. say nothing that would make me happier because that's where I start, uh -huh. is with people. It's all I feel I know much about. I don't know much about them, but at least how, you know, they surprise you every once in a while. But at least people I, I have always been interested in. And I began, I had come to a time in my own life mm -hmm. when I knew that I couldn't, I had everything it would seem that it was possible to have in a material way of life. I had mm -hmm. some success. I had a little dough. I was out of jail, which was <laughs> Rogers makes you think you're rich. And we were doing all right. I had my children, my health. And then things began to happen to me that I couldn't handle. Hmm. And I thought, what were those? my very best is not good enough mm -hmm. to help people, to do for those who are suffering, to, to when my son was killed, a lot of things that mm -hmm. happened. And uh, I began to look around me, and I thought, I have made a great mistake. I had better turn back and see if I can find God mm -hmm. and find him as part of my daily life, as a, a solution to my problems, my salvation problems. Mm -hmm. And I began to study and, and work along those lines. Then I began to see how many people were doing this. Mm -hmm. And the people that interested me most were the very young and extremely successful men. Men who had been become top lawyers, doctors, uh, stockbrokers, all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Bobby Richardson playing second base for the Yankees. Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of men. One that I met uh, who said, you don't remember me, and I said, no. Well, he said, I was a night lieutenant of police in San Francisco when you were a police reporter. <laughs> and he was now had his collar on and was an Episcopal rector. Well, this interested mm -hmm. me. I thought, what is happening? So I began to go around the theological schools, and I found that a percentage was hard to believe of the men at Princeton, at Union Theological Seminary, at Yale, at the one in Oklahoma, all the different ones, were, there was a percentage of men, you know, a lot of people who think they're not very religious have an idea that a man is a minister only because he can't get another job. Mm -hmm. And maybe he was a failure or something. And they're also inclined to think, well, if the minister says it, you know, he has to. Uh -huh. He's stuck with it. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, he's got to get up there and say it. But here were men, like this night lieutenant of police, who had a very good job. Mm -hmm. Indeed. And uh, then I knew a young man in Chicago who was regarded as the top investment broker in the city. Mm -hmm. And he had gone to Yale and he'd been around. And he left this job to go into the ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, then I found one in Jersey City. I know one out in Phoenix, 
near Chandler, Arizona. I know mm-hmm. a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And they were all men of great success who found that their human best had mm-hmm. problems that they never could solve. Mm-hmm. Their own hearts, their own souls, their own relationships to their children, to their country, mm-hmm. to something didn't solve. Mm-hmm. And they turned to God and they have made the most wonderful. Oh, I tell you, they are so remarkable because they stand up there and they tell you. Mm-hmm. They spend a good deal of their time, too, actually, as almost human counselors, don't they? Oh, yes. Yes, a great deal. There mm-hmm. again, you uh-huh. put your finger right on it. They are men who are familiar with the problems of almost everybody. Right. And I have found <coughs> that the people who really respond mm-hmm. are the younger people. Mm-hmm. They're so hungry. They're so anxious. If some grown-up will just speak with authority, will just tell them something that'll work. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to take LSD and roll around in fits. They really don't. <laughs> but they know what else to do. Uh-huh. And they watch the grown-ups, and a lot of the grown-ups are not doing much better. So well, most of those are perennial sophomores, though. That's right. Call them, That's right. They just don't, <laughs> you know, they are still high. Well, I was talking to a man in a company the other day, and one of his entire departments was down with the measles. And I said, well, <laughs> I had a feeling that they weren't very mature, but I thought they were beyond children's diseases. <laughs> but it seems some of them aren't. But, I mean, if you do deal, I have one teenage granddaughter, mm-hmm. and uh, she saw some of these reels about the children doing, taking the smoking that yeah. stuff and everything. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what they do it for. Uh-huh. Why would they? Uh-huh. And I said, well, darling, they do it because they don't know any better. Uh-huh. And they In other words, it. you think it has a great deal to do with uh, parent delinquency rather than maybe the kids themselves? Oh, I think. Uh-huh. I think. You see, the parents, when they surrendered their authority over their children, uh-huh. God meant us to have authority over our children. That's why we were made bigger. <laughs> That's why my kids say father is a tyrant. That's right. Well, I congratulate you, sir. <laughs> Every once in a while I hear mine bragging about the fact that I always used a baseball bat. They seem to think there was something kind of touching. <laughs> Tell you what, let's uh, take a little time out here because... Uh, Dick St. John's, who you mentioned, uh, who is the legal eagle, as we say, I think is associated with an old friend of mine named Bing Crosby. Yes. Let's I play see. something by Bing. Isn't oh, right? yes. Just to keep it in the family. I'd love it. All right. <laughs> oh, what fun this music is. All stars shining bright above you. Night breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in a sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me Say nighty night and kiss me Just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me While I'm alone and blue as can be Dream a little dream of me Stars fading, but I linger on, dear Still craving your kiss I'm longing to linger till dawn, dear Just saying this Sweet dreams till sunbeams find you 
Sweet dreams that leave all worries behind you But in your dreams, whatever they be Dream a little dream of me St. John's, our special guest, who is... Uh, well, there's some of my grandchildren. Yeah, I say, we have an audience now. Yes. How about that? <laughs> you can have me sit around, some of my grandchildren will show up. Let me ask you, too, something else. You come from a large family yourself, Miss St. John's? Uh, yes, I uh, had three brothers. Three brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and One now brother you are... killed with the Marines mm-hmm. in the Pacific. Yeah. Where, where was home? Well, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Actually. Yes, uh, back and uh, forth. So My you're father, actually from California. Oh, yes. Oh, I was uh-huh. born in California. Mm-hmm. And we're quite an old California family. Uh-huh. And my father had offices in both places. Mm-hmm. So we went back and forth and tried wherever there were cases to drive. Uh-huh. We stayed out here pretty much. He did go east a couple of times. How do you uh, go about developing a story? I think people who might even be interested in writing, and there are a lot of people who are, it would be very interesting knowing how you go about actually developing a story. Well, let's Without take... Without giving away no, any of your no, own no. trade secrets. No, no, Let's take... T- oh, there aren't any. There are none. There are no trade secrets and there are no rules anymore. You write it any way that it's good for you, that's the best way to tell it, that comes out right for you. Mm-hmm. Tell No Man, I think, is a very good example of this, how a story is developed. I told you how I finally got the guy. Right. And I worked on him, and he came to the point where... One of his best friends got in desperate trouble, and he couldn't help him. Mm -hmm. And then he remembered what had happened to him and what the chaplain had said to him in Korea. Mm -hmm. And then he remembered what he'd learned when he was at Yale and took a course in comparative religions because it was a pipe and he could keep on the football team. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And these things came to him, and then he had a great moment of illumination. Well, up to there, I was on sound ground. Then, the person who really gave me this story, since you mentioned him, was my son, Dick, who has a, an extraordinarily creative story mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a lawyer, but he has an imaginative, creative mind. And we were discussing a case in which a young man had left his business to go into the church, mm-hmm. and uh, his wife didn't want him to. Mm-hmm. She said, you have to be kidding Mm-hmm. I would not have married a minister. Uh-huh. Uh, if you become a minister, I will not stay married to you. 
Well, I thought this was dreadful. I was appalled. And Dick said, wait a minute, Mama. She's got a side here. Oh, I said, she can't have a side. Her husband wants to follow God, wants to become a man of God, help people. And this selfish girl is going to say, I won't go with. He said, just a minute, just a minute. They didn't marry under the idea that marriage was a sacrament. They married as a contract. They made a contract called marriage. And she made it with a young man who was making $60,000 a year uh -huh. and lived in Chicago on the best street. And that's what she has a right to expect. Uh -huh. Now, if he suddenly says, I'm going to make $2,000 a year uh -huh. and live on a back street in a punk waterfront town in California, uh -huh. she has every right to say, you've broken the contract, let's call the whole thing off. Uh -huh. And I was... Furious, I said, Dick St. John's, you are really, and I'm as shocked at you. <laughs> then I began to think about it, and I thought, oh, oh, just a minute. The hardest thing in the world today is to get conflict between a man and woman. There used to be a thousand reasons. They were of different classes, different colors, different races, different bringing up. Diff now it don't make any difference. Mm -hmm. So you have a great lack of conflict there. They get petty, you know, they yeah. get little. So, but here was a case where these two people came head-on on a vital matter. Right. You see. And um, two people were very much in love. So, that made my, that began to develop the story uh -huh. of Tell No Man, you uh -huh. see. She was sure that if she should stood firm, he would never give her up. Uh -huh. Too stuck on her, he would never... And he felt that she loved him enough that she was sure to come with him. So they had themselves quite a struggle yes, there a while. <laughs> and this turned out, then when I saw that part of it, then you could go from there, you uh -huh. see. It's very interesting just to, to know how these things come about. I think that uh, the creation of any kind of a story like that, even your short story you were talking about a while ago on wedding night, things of this kind that you've done over a period of years, takes a... Not just imagination, but uh, you have to have... Hard same, work. Well, a lot of hard work, but you've got to have some basically sound ideas, ideas, I should say, and also ideals, don't you, as an oh, individual? I think so. Huh? I think unless... You know, what you write is more important than how you write it. Mm -hmm. And unless you know what you want to say, unless you have a a deep desire to say it. Uh, not long ago, I was talking with Paul Gallico mm -hmm. about one of the great stories, Snow Goose. Mm -hmm. And I consider this a classic, a real mm -hmm. classic. And it goes on selling year after year after year. Well, there was something in that story that Paul wanted to say so badly that I don't think he could have helped saying it, you see. Uh -huh. uh, the only people that ought not to write are the people who have nothing they really want to say. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. In other words, you really to have say. to have something to oh, say. Oh, yes. You, you have to have something Even to say. Even if it's going to be fictionalized. Oh, right. yes. Mm -hmm. Well, you see, there's so much you can say in right. fiction that uh -huh. you can't say. Thing. Look at Dickens. Uh -huh. Dickens changed the entire history of England. Mm -hmm. He did more to 
bring about reform. He did more to stop evils. He did more to reform the courts even, the court of chancery. Mm -hmm. He did every, the prisons he reformed, uh, the laws he changed, all these things. The laws of the poor houses, right. the laws of how children were treated. Mm -hmm. Dickens did all of this. He never wrote anything but fiction in his life. Right. You see. But he saw this and then mm -hmm. he transmuted it. But he wanted to say it's so bad that he just couldn't. Uh, when you read if anybody wants to write, the greatest book on writing, I think, that's ever been written is a large, long life of Dickens by a man named Johnson, uh -huh. in which he tells you how Dickens wrote his novels. Hmm. It's the most exciting book I know anything about. Because he tells you what his life was and what he knew and how he got into it, and then how he transmuted that into the fiction Mm -hmm. of the novel. His father was Mr. Micawber in David Copperfield. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that's right. what he did with his father when he, <laughs> he fixed him. He couldn't have told it just that way yes. about his father. Uh -huh. But uh, you can see the people he knew and how he moved them, where invention jumped off fact. Uh -huh. But basically... He wanted to say it. He was absolutely devastated by the way children were treated mm -hmm. in labor. Right. And he was heartbroken over the debtors' prisons. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to say it. I think that's one of the things that we, I wish we had more of now is more fiction that really has to do with the great problems, you know. Uh -huh. Our fiction seems to me is getting awful narrow. Well, it's all I'll, about the I'll same. I'll go along with that. <laughs> same, you know, so much the same thing. After uh, all, we yeah. can't be limited only to what uh, happens. Yeah, immediately. Between, yes, mm -hmm. and there are great, great things in our country. Have been always. Are uh, you going to stop at Tell No Man, the new Doubleday book, or are you uh, uh, going to do another one? By the way, I do have to say this because I'm very happy about it. Uh, Tell No Man's out in paperback. Oh, it is? Yes. Oh. just came out. Uh -huh. And I know a lot of younger people and everything that mm -hmm. might like to, if they want it at all, they might like to know that they can get it now mm -hmm. in a paperback. Oh, no, I'm halfway through a new book. That's why oh. I'm out here. Uh -huh. See, my daughter, my older daughter, uh -huh. works with me. Uh -huh. She's my editor, uh -huh. my copy reader. And everything, so that's <laughs> old St. John's rule. There's anybody in the family can do it better than right. anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's the one to have do it. Hell, <laughs> I like to be with her better. I wouldn't like it. So she's been uh, doing some editing on the first part of it, uh -huh. and then I'm going to finish that. And then I have two more. I've contracted with Doubleday for two more, one for another novel, and someday I'm going to get around to write a life story of Mary Baker Eddy. I'm not a Christian scientist, but no. this is the greatest American woman, uh -huh. and I'd like someday to write a book about her. Huh. Coming from a good Irish family, by way of uh, thanking you very, very much for taking time from what I know is oh, a frantic schedule to come on microphone mm. with us, uh, Adela Rogers St. John, our special guest, whose new book, as she just mentioned, Tell No Man, which has uh, been doing quite well for itself and now available in paperback. Mm -hmm. All right, fine, and we got that in again. But, uh, <laughs> I really I thought... didn't want them to be able to get it in paperback, bless their hearts. Some of them have waited a long yeah. time. There are a couple of good songwriters you were talking about. Good songwriters in our country. One uh, named Burton Lane and the other named E.Y. Yip Harburg, who wrote a magnificent oh, fantasy hey. called Finian's Rainbow. Yes. Huh? Yes. And I thought that maybe we'd go out He's on something Irish, so like Look nice to the Rainbow. That. Oh, I love it. He's Would a you? very nice man, besides. Uh -huh. I know him. 
And uh, this actually is the kind of a song that uh, has some of the basic tenets that Mrs. St. John's has been talking yes. about that she has within herself and her family. <laughs>
And with uh, a little fantasy impromptu in the background, that just about does it for today. Bill Stewart thanking you for listening. Thanks to Adela Rogers St. John's for dropping in. And good Lord will increase don't rise. We'll do it again tomorrow. In the interim, keep your powder dry. Don't blow your cool. Remember, this is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. (laughs) 